the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem became a wonder of the ancient world. The splendor of the place became legendary in all the countries round about. For seven and a half years, the project was underway. The house of the Lord took shape in relative quiet on the top of Mount Moriah. Not like any other construction project, no noise, no engines, the workers laid stone upon stone and the exterior of the structure became more and more imposing as time went by. The bright sun made the light-colored stones a dazzling sight. Workers prepared the stones off of the site and according to very exact instructions. Every stone was to be fashioned in a particular way so that when they were brought to the site, they could be fit into place. And inside the structure, the breathtaking character of the building appeared even more vividly as we have read in this passage. Every measurement was exact. And the proportions of the spaces were in perfect harmony. The beauty of the cedars of Lebanon covered the stone walls. Cedar and planks of fir, as we read, lined the floor and walls so that no stone was visible in the interior. The cedar had carvings of knops or unopened flower buds and also open flowers, in addition to figures of cherubim and palm trees. And then the workers covered every square inch of the cedar or fir with gold, so that the floor, the ceiling, and the walls shone. Exactly 40 cubits from the entrance to the temple, the workers installed doors, folding doors that marked the entrance to what we read is the oracle or the most holy place, the holiest of all. It was the place where God would speak with his people through the person of the priest. In that room was to be the Ark of the Covenant. The oracle was a perfect cube. It was 20 cubits wide, it was 20 cubits long, and 20 cubits high. The ceiling of that room was 10 cubits below the roof line of the building, so lower than in the holy place without. It was lowered to create a uniformly perfect room. But because the scale of this oracle was so much greater than that of the holy of holies in the tabernacle, 
that the people had used for centuries, King Solomon created for the oracle tall images of cherubim that flanked the Ark of the Covenant, each of them 10 cubits in height. That is, if we take uh, a foot and a half as the measurement of the cubit, there's some debate over that, but we'll just take that as an example. If we take that measurement, these cherubim were 15 feet tall. Now, the ceiling of this room is 12 feet above the floor, so that gives you some sense of the scale. The wings of the cherubim provided a canopy under which the ark rested. These images were then half the height of the oracle. And their wings covered the entire width of the oracle. On each side, one wing of the cherub reached out to touch the wall on that side, and the other wing arched over the place where the ark rested and touched the opposite wall. And in the middle, those outstretched wings touched each other. And beneath that point where their wings touched rested the ark. The ark of the covenant that... Solomon brought into this place dated to the time of Moses. It was very old. It was centuries old. Inside the ark were the tables of the law. And on top of the ark was the mercy seat with its own cherubim fashioned out of the gold of the mercy seat. The cherubim in the oracle were of olive wood. Possibly some think entire trunks of olive trees were used. Solomon directed the workmen to cover the cherubim with gold. Outside the temple, in the courtyard, where was the altar of sacrifice, Solomon designed a low wall of stone topped by cedar to mark the separation of the place of worship from the rest of the temple so that the people who came into the courtyard of the temple could not approach the altar itself, but they were able then to see what took place there. Now, some people wonder about the need for all the details. And if they don't wonder about the need for the detail, they wonder why we have all the detail recorded here in Scripture for us. But the point is that God had a purpose for everything in that project. Every part of the temple spoke for God to the people. Now, when we consider the painstaking and costly effort that went into building the temple, we have to consider that the building was to be a type of the gospel message. Not many people saw the inside of the building, but the infallible record of the inspired word that we have read 
enables everyone to hear the message. It's a message for us today, nearly three millennia later. The message is remarkable, for we must call it sermon without words. Sermon without words. Now, some people, and possibly many, find interest in the idea of a sermon without words. How much shorter that would make everything. But we're not talking about that concept We mean that it is without words in the sense that God has communicated his message through the details of the house of God that he directed Solomon to build. This sermon proclaims the majesty and glory of God and emphasizes the power and the grace of his plan of redemption. This sermon gives hope to sinners. The way into the oracle is open through the gospel. You can hear God's voice even when there are no audible words. The forgiveness of sins is through the sacrifice of the altar, striking that no high priest could pass through those doors into the oracle without the blood of the atoning sacrifice. And so it is for you and me today. We cannot approach God through the merits of our hands. In the temple, the sermon without words carried the message that not even the best efforts of people are sufficient to satisfy God. People must come to God through the person of whom the sermon speaks. That is, they must come through Christ. But the sermon speaks as well to those who have come by that way, who are believers in Christ, and who want to walk with God and to serve God. The workmen who labored to install the cedar and to carve the figures into it. That was a, a massive project. They had a part in the sermon without words. They were laborers together with God and for God. And so it is with those who labor now to build God's house. They are laborers together with God. The sermon without words has four parts to it. And I draw those to your attention today. First of all, divine precision. Here we come, the beginning of the message. Our God is a God of detail. Our God proceeds with order and care in all his purposes. Everything about the interior of the temple was precise. The oracle was half as long as the holy place or the outer house. The entire building was 60 cubits long. Again, if we take that as 
a foot and a half to a cubit, then that would be 90 feet, which would put it just 10 feet longer than this space from the front door to the back door. 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, that is 30 feet wide, and 30 cubits or 45 feet high. Very high roof line. So we can imagine the, by using our awareness of this space, we can imagine something of the scope of this building. The proportions of the building were such that its appearance was exactly correct and pleasing to the eye. That is, God is also a God of beauty. On the inside, every detail ensured that no flaw existed. The building was for the Lord. And Solomon spared no expense or effort to make it right. There was in all this precision, these exact measurements that we read, there was a clear message from God. God's purpose, whatever it is and wherever it appears, is exact. It is precise. And that's true in a general historical sense. God has a distinct plan for the ages, for the history of the world. And that plan is unfolding exactly according to the purpose God has decreed. According to his timetable. And all of the people who have passed through the scene of time, who came before us, they had to take account of that same reality. But the Lord's purpose is application in your life, individually, or in your families. There are no accidents. There are no perplexing coincidences in your life. Every experience in your life is part of the exact purpose of God to bring you to the right place at just the right time. God is particular about everything. We are not always so particular, but God is. He cares about the slightest detail of your life. And he has purposed all things to work together for your good and for his glory. It brings to mind those famous words of Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Every detail of the temple interior was according to God's specific design. That is, they didn't have to hire an architect. They didn't have to draw up blueprints. God made all that plain. So Solomon and the workers he directed took care to see that every detail was by that design. And when we apply that to life, 
what it means is we don't have to worry about the future. The Lord will accomplish his work in you to the smallest specifics. You don't always see it while it's unfolding, but you can look back later and realize that God's purpose was always there. He has an exact plan, and he will carry it out. He is the God of precision. And he calls you in your service to him to exercise the same care and precision. So that lack of care in the work of Christ's kingdom is at odds with God himself. But the sermon without words had a second point, and that is divine glory. Divine glory. We have to confess that when we read the words of 1 Kings 6 and try to envision it, we just don't have the capability. We just can't imagine a building of this nature. We've never seen anything like it. Now, you have walked on floors of various types in your life. So you know what it's like to walk on carpet, on wood, on marble, on granite, on linoleum, on concrete, on tile. You know what that experience is. And you may have seen floors that painters and that installers painted or stained or sanded smooth. But I dare say you have not walked on a cedar floor that the builders overlaid with gold. You have never been in a building that had the aroma of cedar with the gleaming surfaces of gold all around you. But inside the temple, those details reflected the glory of God. So you had inside the temple, as we read those carved details, the flower buds, the open flowers, the palm trees, the cherubim. There was all of that. But wherever you looked, there was gold. The doors from the outside and the doors leading into the oracle were of gold. So was every other part of the building. To be in the temple was to have a foretaste of what it is like to be in paradise, to be in heaven. If we turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, in chapter 21, Verse 21, especially the last part of the verse. And the street of the city was pure gold. The street was pure gold. As it were, transparent glass. So that was the measure of the purity of it. The temple that Solomon built was to give some sense 
of what it was to be in God's paradise. It was the house of God. It was the reflection of the glory of God. And what was the purpose of this, what some would consider today, lavish expenditure? The purpose was to remind everybody that God's purpose was to show himself to the world in the face of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. One of the texts that I heard so often in seminary years ago that it comes to my mind readily. Verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We look into the face of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God. And it was that glory that radiated from the face of the Savior on the Mount of Transfiguration. We read in the Synoptic Gospels, he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun. The scriptures tell us furthermore that the Lord Jesus Christ is the full and ultimate revelation of God's glory. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And verse 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, the express image of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to see the glory of God that this sermon without words proclaimed. You behold that glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So when people say that they want to see God, but they refuse to receive the truth concerning Christ, you know that they do not want to see the God of glory. The sermon without words then spoke of the Redeemer whom God promised would come. But the sermon without words had a third point, gospel perfection. Gospel perfection. The oracle, that is the entrance into the, through, into the oracle, was impressive. Gold chains hung in front of the doors and then those golden doors behind. 
when the temple was destroyed and later rebuilt during the time of Ezra. One of the things about the temple that caused those who participated in rebuilding it to weep was that much of this detail was no longer there. In place of those doors was a veil. And that veil was torn in two at the time of the death of our Savior. But when Solomon built the temple, those doors were very impressive. But the room itself was impressive. It was a perfect cube. Now those who know or remember their spatial geometry lessons, and I have to struggle to remember that, that was not my strong suit in math, was geometry. But if you remember your spatial geometry lessons, you know that a cube has the same dimensions in length, width, and height. So what often are called ice cubes really are only loosely cubes. A cube is the same in all the dimensions, so that from every any vantage point it is the same. The oracle then was a fitting room for the Ark of the Covenant, for the Ark was the proclamation of the salvation of God. Salvation proclaims God's only way of redeeming people from the curse of the law. The ark with those tables of the law inside it and the mercy seat on the top where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the atonement once each year. That was the proclamation that there's only one way of salvation. There's only one way out of the condemnation of divine wrath. It is through the blood of the atoning sacrifice. And it's striking that everything else that changed in the building of the temple, it was a much grander scale. But all of that change did not affect the ark. It was the same ark of the covenant. The contents were the same. The divine service concerning it was the same. Because the truth is, in every generation, people have broken God's law. People have defied the Creator. They have gone astray from the commandments of God. They have loved sin. They have lived for sin. But the Lord seeks them out. And he points them to the mercy seat. And proclaims that there he will be gracious to them. The grace of God rests on the blood atonement that the high priest would bring into that oracle and that prefigured the blood atonement that Jesus Christ would make upon the cross. There's no failing in that message. However you look at that message, it's the same. Salvation is perfect because it is all of God. And then we come to the fourth point in the sermon without words. 
divine rewards in God's service. We come to the last verse of chapter 6 and the in the middle of that verse we read the house was finished throughout all the parts thereof after 7 years and a little more of construction the house was finished all the parts that is, not one detail had to be left behind. Anyone who's been involved in a construction project, whether small or large, knows that, generally speaking, things get left by the wayside. But here were the workers who labored in the house of God, and they finished everything. Can you stand there with King Solomon and those who labored on the project and see the completion of the great work? To see the glory of God in the building to which they gave so much time and energy, that was their reward. That was their compensation. Along the way, there were no change orders because God, made the design and there was nothing that God would not enable his servants to achieve by his power and there's the reward of serving God you will never lose when you devote yourself to the work of God those workers some of them no doubt were involved in all of the details of that project some had different skills that they used in that project. But a lot of people would say, well, that was a long time, and that was kind of a waste of your time. But you never lose when you devote yourself to serving God. Dr. Cairns told me years ago that God is not the debtor of anyone. When you give yourself to the work of God to serve him in the advancement of his cause, God will bring you to the place of satisfaction for he accomplishes his purposes through you. That's why there's every incentive for people to say, whatever God wants me to do, that's what I want to do. I want to give my life to that. Because God uses his workmen to accomplish his purposes and to proclaim his glory. And so the temple was finished. Think of Solomon at the beginning when not a stone was there in place. What a daunting prospect it was. How would they ever be able to do it? But they simply gave themselves to the service of God for the declaration of the gospel of God's salvation. And God brought them all the way to the completion. Here is the challenge for the people of God in every age. 
persevere in God's work. Labor on in God's work. Be faithful unto what God has called you to do, and God will bring his purpose to pass through your life. Here's a message for those who do not know the Lord, because the gospel that the temple proclaimed is the message that people still need today. And here's a message for those who are the Lord's to keep on in their service. Wherever you are in life, keep on in your service, for God is accomplishing his purpose through you.